Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. I am Haney. And apparently I'm Alexander. We are Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology, not that you would get any value out of Alexander. This is episode 246, recorded on November 29th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needipintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. I'm back. I haven't broken any airfields or airplanes today. Uh, Alexander have broken me and Haney. Yes. <laughs> but but it's fine. I'm glad to be back, and we will try something utterly impossible today, where we will be covering the most important news from Microsoft Ignite in 30 minutes. And pass. Uh, Don't forget pass. And, and pass. Mm-hmm. Aren't we past that? Some of us are. <laughs> Some of us are. <laughs> so, and just because we have so little to cover, I will actually throw in another news item first because it's very, very important to know. Microsoft have, during November, deployed uh, new automatic conditional access policies to all tenants. You will now have 90 days to review these t- policies and make any changes or disable them if you like. Uh, and after 90 days, they will be uh, put into action. These policies are there to ensure that all your accounts are protected by MFA and all of your administrative access are also protected by MFA. This is to increase the number of MFA-enabled accounts from a whooping 37% in Entra ID. Uh, to hopefully 100%. But you have the ability to control it, but be aware that these have been deployed and that you should review them ASAP. And with that, let's talk about the most exciting thing from Microsoft Ignite. Windows Auto Patch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very exciting. I've never seen Alexander be as still as he were during my announcement. So, Windows Auto Patch, for the ones of you who haven't listened to our previous episodes, uh, started off Ignite being a service which would automatically patch your Windows devices in a more or less intelligent way. Uh, It's AI somewhere in it, um, and so on. During Microsoft Ignite, Microsoft announced that they will now extend Windows Auto Patch to kind of everything they have. So, it will now cover... Microsoft Edge, Microsoft Teams, Windows, Microsoft 365 apps, drivers, and more. So they are making Windows Auto Patch the service for update management across Windows endpoints and are also extending that to F3 and above customers. Previously, it was only E, so enterprise and and academic that could use it. Or it, it might not be available for academic yet. I think that's a feature request, so we'll see. But definitely E and F. Uh, and to me, this is as like understandable and as important as the uh, conditional access policies I just spoke about. Because apart from MFA, keeping your organization up to date is one of the most essential and probably least costly things you can do to increase your security posture. So you will get access to everything that AutoPatch provided previously with all of these pilot groups that are dynamically populated based on how your endpoints look. Uh, And it will now be able to keep, or will at some point be able to keep all of your softwares up to date. Uh, 
adding to that is that we also get third-party patching within Microsoft Intune very, very soon. Uh, though a very limited number of third-party applications. But Microsoft is really doing what they can to help us stay up to date. So please review Windows Auto Patch as soon as you can. Second, continuing on the, uh, the Windows track, we have a number of new features for Windows 365 and Azure Virtual Desktops. Uh, the most important feature and the, um, I think the, possibly the most expected of them were that we will now be getting Windows 365 machines with graphic cards. It's a highly requested feature, uh, so where you will actually get access to a number of different graphic cards, different SKUs for a fixed cost per user per month. Uh, it's, it's something I've been waiting for because I do think that that is something organizations have struggled with. Um, and uh, if you are interested in trying that, it's possible to sign up for a what they call a limited public preview. Uh, and if you're interested, speak to your uh, consultant or your Microsoft contact, and they should be able to help you. We also have auto scale for personal desktops. And that sounds a little odd, because if you have a personal desktop, how do you scale it? But that is basically uh, the ability to put it in hibernation instead of turning it off and deallocating the, the, the machine, which is super nice. Uh, and also the ability to wake it up from that uh, state uh, if needed, so that you can actually save money by optimizing the time it's, it's uh, down. Windows 365 is also introducing AI features. So where you based on the usage surprise. of your devices. Yeah, surprise. It, the big surprise is that it isn't called Copilot. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they will basically look into the apps you're running and the uh, the load of the machine and suggest that you upgrade or downgrade the SKU of your Windows 365 machine. Uh, I will really look forward to see if that ever tells you to scale down the machine. But uh, yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, and also a number of uh, privacy and security uh, announcements among others like a lot of things have gone ga like the uh, watermarks and so on on the, the the virtual sessions but definitely some good improvements and it's also very good to see that they are still adding features to azure virtual desktop and not just windows 365 and the third thing that i would like to highlight is that we now have a new name it's no longer called Microsoft 365 Defender. It's now called Microsoft Defender XDR. That sounds really fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, EDR, Endpoint Detection and Response, and you have NDR, Network Detection and Response, and XDR is Cross Detection and Response, or All Detection and Response. So it's now... <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Nice namings. <laughs> so they are now integrating. Yeah, exactly. They are now integrating things more than ever. But the really cool aspect of this is that they now will be moving Sentinel finally into the security center. So instead of being required to have Sentinel as a separate application, you will now be able to use Sentinel and the features within uh, the Microsoft security platform. 
But I do think it's a valid point. I saw that Martina Grom, uh, a Austrian MVP, if I'm not um, completely wrong, questioned Microsoft uh, on this because it's quite interesting. And I responded to it because she asked, why is compliance still named compliance in all portals and not purview? Mm. And I answered the same reason why it's called security and not defender. <laughs> so um, we'll see about that. But but I do think that, and, and I do also think that if when Microsoft ties Sentinel and Microsoft Defender XDR uh, together, uh, you will obviously get more use of the security co-pilot, which is something we will cover in another episode. But I've, I would say that there are tons of other things to talk about from Ignite. I do think this Ignite was actually one of the best releases since before best events since before covid in terms of the things they are releasing um so a lot of things to cover and these were the what i thought was the most interesting within my area of expertise and now moving over to uh, the questionable value member of this episode alexander <laughs> no i was thinking you had more news so, yeah oh thank you <laughs> So trying to figure out what to to mention from from um Ignites and Pass was not easy. So I just decided that yeah, I'm gonna talk about small things. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna yeah. start by talking about Microsoft Fabric going generally available. How do small you thing. feel about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh I have opinions. Uh, because <laughs> I think I knew it. personally that th this, again, let, let me backtrack. So Fabric is this integrated end all analytics solution, sort of kind of what we were told Synapse was going to be, but eh, let's not have that discussion. But the idea and the premise of Fabric is fantastic. Parts of Fabric is just blazing fast. And there, there are some technical solutions that I'm going to be covering in, in, in a bit that are just mind-blowing. But calling this generally available, sure. I agree. It's generally available for <laughs> proof-of-concept workloads. I, I had a chat actually today with another um, uh, person in the in the community that I, I happen to meet um, in the lounge at Skiffle. And I asked him, do you have any customer that will go into fabric as a with a, a a production load and he said yes i do and when i prompted him how what, what do they do well it turns out that they do reporting on csvs and excel files <laughs> that's it <laughs> well then it works <laughs> exactly yeah. so for for very specific use cases it is very useful but it lacks so many I was almost about to say enterprise features, but features in general. Now, this will be rectified. I, I don't doubt that for a second. But right now, I find it slightly difficult to be that excited. This will be the thing that is is the thing going forward. But right now, I have opinions on on letting these go generally available. But that that's that's mm. me. But we have spoken about this previously, and I, and I still think that the challenge of things like Fabric in GA is that Fabric isn't a 
thing. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. many things. Uh, so, and therefore it, it gets ridiculous to have a suite of things in one umbrella going GA. It's like saying that Office 365 went GA, which mm-hmm. it did, but that doesn't mean that everything was done inside no, of the service. And, and mm-hmm. You're absolutely exactly. right. That's why they said uh, fabric workloads are in, in general availability. And then mm-hmm. they list them out, such as the data warehouse, the data, data lake house, and, yeah. and those things. But still, underneath those, mm-hmm. there are so many things that are simply not there. Glaring holes. It, it's like uh, Sweden's first single-engine bomber, the, the B-17. <laughs> it... If you look in the manual and you go for the manual for, for air conditioning, there is, there's a placeholder in there, but there is no text because they never built the air conditioning into the airplane, (laughs) meaning that it is very cold in the winter and very warm in the summer. It's sort of kind of like the same thing here. You're going to find all the nice placeholders, but there's nothing there. Very nice. That was one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of the air trivias you have used ever. Well, there we go. <laughs> but you now have value again, my friend. Don't worry, <laughs> it'll go away. <laughs> but one of the things that they have brought out that is just fantastic, I think, is the... So the One Lake, let's not discuss the the naming, but the One Lake is this idea of, of having one enormous data lake underneath everything but you don't want to duplicate data that that's the classical issue with with a a data lake you bring everything in and then when you turn your back on the whole thing it's not so much a data lake it's a data swamp and you're standing literally knee deep in brown water and it smells horrible that's your data but the idea of the one lake is keyword being one you should only store things once and sort of kind of the holy grail has always been the ability to connect external data, but access it through the same medium. So uh, we, we can take um, data from one data lake, connect it to one lake, and then it looks like it resides in the one lake. Meaning that I can take external data, data that is external to the fabric, connect it to one lake, and Voila, everything in Fabric sees it as if it is native, if it is native um, stuff in, in Fabric. So really cool things. And then they did something that I never thought they would do. They enabled the ability to use S3 buckets as a source. So you can now shortcut, that's, that's the technical term, one lake to an S3 bucket. This in AWS. Put, in AWS, exactly. So you can stuff your, your S3 buckets, which is essentially the same as, as a, a, um, a storage account in, in AWS. So you can put your data there and you can shortcut it almost like a symbolic link into the one lake and work with it as if it was residing in the one lake. Don't think for a second that they managed to sort these small details with Lightspeed and shit. Now, Lightspeed is still an issue. And that data is absolutely not local. But if you're okay with the fact that you have some some latency, you don't need to physically move it. And this is huge. This is really, really, really big. That sounds interesting. It does. (laughs) So 
Because I do think that Haney works more with multi-cloud than you do, Alex. True. Do customers intentionally choose, like, if you have the option, now we, we have AWS and Azure data centers in Sweden, and I think you have it mm-hmm. in Finland as well. Mm-hmm. But Not is quite it yet a, with Azure, but... Yeah, is it a strategy to, when you choose your multi-cloud strategy, to also ensure that your data center is in the, is in the same regional proximity? Because that should um. never have been important before, but now it could be if you have, for some reason, have a lot of data in a AWS data center, and then you want to use Fabric, and that should then be put in the closest Azure Mm -hmm. data center, I assume. Or is that completely wrong? Yeah, well, I I think when we talk about multi-cloud strategies, I more often I find that it hasn't been a strategy to start (laughs) with. Uh, It's somewhere that has been ended up due to like different development teams using different platforms, for example. So occasionally you do see a strategy that it's more like an approach of not putting all the eggs in the same basket. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, the region might come into play. Uh, In some cases, it might be just like, yes, you want uh, certain things to run in a different cloud. but it depends on the case whether the region is a factor. But definitely if you were doing like a data platform solution and you have data to move around multiple clouds, you would need to take that into consideration as well. Most most customers don't, as, as Haney said, does not have a, a multi-cloud policy. Those who do generally don't make the mistake of using the same workloads. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense yep. to run SQL in Azure yep. and on AWS. And no, no. Exactly. Especially not if you want to interchange the data. Then mm-hmm. you're doing multi-cloud completely wrong. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't stop people from trying. But we do see mergers and acquisitions where you buy mm-hmm. a company and suddenly mm-hmm. you find yourself having parts of that company's workload in another cloud. And yes, you can absolutely migrate to whatever cloud you you prefer but that is going to take some time and if nothing else this is a perfect uh, stopgap solution and an intermediate step if you don't want to move all the data at any specific moment so it opens up Mm -hmm. a lot of interesting migration opportunities and then also it opens up opportunities where you do not have to migrate which actually is a very good segue into Another aspect of, of Azure that I, I have not have very much love for, and that is the managed instance, the managed SQL Server instance. So what is the managed instance? It is a, a, it's a fully managed service, SQL Server as a managed service, very similar to the one that AWS runs. The difference is, in my view, AWS does it better. The irony. The MI takes ages to spin up it is very expensive and you only use it for the times where you could not do a a, a transfer to azure uh, sql database Mm -hmm. chief among them is cross database scripting when you have multiple databases on the same database server that need to talk to each other can't do that through azure sql server that's a huge glaring thing so people were forced to use 
managed instance. And I say forced to use because I have yet to find a customer that chose to use managed instance because they thought it was the best solution. It it, it fills a, a niche. If you need managed instance, then you definitely need managed instance. There is nothing out there that can solve that specific problem. And for that, you, you pay accordingly. Now, they just released a feature wave. The funny thing is it still says feature wave 2022 on the website. It's actually feature wave 2023 uh, because I have it on good authority that 2023 is, is now. What they are talking about are things like I, I never thought I would see, and that is the distributed transaction coordinator, or the DTC, which has also been a bit of a sore point because there, there's no DTC in, in Azure. That works for almost for, for um, meshed instance. But the really cool thing is you can now start and stop managed instance. And this opens up some pretty interesting opportunities because when it stopped, well, you were only paying for storage. And what if you have a database that you need to access for a select number of hours, maybe per day or per week even, then you can now whip up a managed instance and and start and stop it. You should not be in a hurry though, because it takes 20 minutes to start and it takes five minutes to stop. (laughs) That's almost useful. So this this thing opens up opportunities, financial opportunities, because again, managed instance is expensive, and usually when you need that specific kind of of, of um, functionality, you also need a fairly hefty managed instance, meaning that you get hit twice in the face. Not only do you have to spin it up and pay for it, you also have to pay for it 24-7, which you would not have to do if you ran the thing on-prem. That's why I see a lot of people still prefer running uh, VMs with SQL mm-hmm. Server. Yes, you lose a lot of the automation and the whole something-something-as-a-service. Absolutely true. But that's that's an interesting conversation and discussion in and of itself. What What is the mm-hmm. best choice? So yeah, that, that was... That was the the three things that stuck out the most, and we can do complete episodes on all of them, just like we can do for for, for Simon's stuff and then Haney's stuff. But um, yeah, we we had to cap it somewhere. So Haney, what's happening on your end? So on to the actual interesting part of the news. Well, I I have to say a lot of the Ignite news were maybe not so much in the kind of the infrastructure, Azure area, so much. Uh, There was quite many things about confidential computing, but I decided to leave that at a later point when we have a little more time to talk about what is it and why you Oh, you want to keep it it secret? Yes, I want to keep it confidential. (laughs) So we will return to that in a later stage. Uh, But what I picked up is that, as usual, There is updates in the container apps area, which I like to see. I personally am looking forward to see where this service is going towards, going forward. So one of the things about container apps, as the name states, is that you need to have some knowledge of containers. 
So one uh, capability that they have brought in is that we are able to take our code and take it without the container aspect of it and deploy it to our container apps. So that can make what? it more approachable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so so how far can you... Like, I'm, I'm not a developer, as everyone is very aware <laughs> of at this point. But how are, like... Very stupid question now. Are, don't you need to write the code? Yes, of course. Well you the need container? the code. Yeah. You need the code. But don't you need to write the code to work in a container environment? Depends. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> but when you work with a container, you, in addition to the application code, you've mm. had to define your container image that defines yeah, yeah. what mm. kind of a container is it? What kind of... Yeah. Packages are there and so forth. So this is kind of removing that step from it. Uh, wow. Not 100%, but it is easing that process quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, that will be interesting to see what are the actual capabilities. So I haven't had a chance to test it out quite yet. So I'm looking forward to see what does this mean in practice? How little do you actually need to be able to get going? Cool. Then there is also, of course, because AI is everywhere, there is more, <laughs> more flexible compute options that have come into container apps. So there are some of the GPU-enabled compute options now available within container apps as well that really sit well with AI workloads. So, of course, uh, it, all of this was kind of packaged with building intelligent applications with Azure container apps. Of course. Intelligence cloud? Yes. Everything is intelligent, always. I'm not. So, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> intelligent intelligent and true. modern. <laughs> oh, no. And about intelligent, we, of course, had tons and tons of co-pilots that came out. Those people who watched the keynote probably... You could have gotten really drunk if you took a sip of your drink every time co-pilot was stated. <laughs> so even within the book of news for Ignite, if you go looking, there is a separate section about co-pilot. That, that is quite something. So there is actually a co-pilot within Fabric, since that is GA, the Fabric itself. There is now co-pilot in there. Uh, available. But there is also other areas where there is Copilot available. So there is uh, Copilot within Dynamics 365. There is Copilot within Edge. There is Copilot within Microsoft 365, Microsoft Viva, Power Platform, Security, Copilot, as Simon mentioned as well. So there is ton of these different Copilots that are out there. And what we need to remember when we talk about these, they are still made to do specific things. They don't take care of everything for us. Mm. There are specific things that they have been designed to do. So I think that is something kind of good to keep in mind when we talk about co-pilots. Uh, the part that I wanted to highlight here is to uh, talk about the co-pilot for Azure. Uh, so what this has been 
made to do is that you are able to um, design your services and how they fit together. That is one aspect. Uh, it is also able to fetch kind of answers about your resources. So if you f want to find out some specific things about your resources, it will be able to uh, get that information for you. You are able to troubleshoot your services. And there, I think there's been some kind of like precursor to this with some of the troubleshooting capabilities, for example, in app service and things like that. It's been able to look at your data and suggest maybe this is your issue or something like that. And then there's the optimized portion to help with cost optimization and scalability and things like that. So we always have to keep in mind what has this Copilot been meant to do. So it still won't quite, um, it does support with, for example, uh, writing KQL custo queries for your log analytics and things like that. And it can even give you a sample script of how this is how you create your resources. But of course, you need to be able to verify that is this actually correct? And will this create what I need in my environment? Can it do bicep? Very good question. I don't know. I know it Should can do be. Azure CLI scripting. That's I, that I know for certain that, that it is able to do. But I did not see bicep mentioned in the article. It is not, <laughs> just to verify. So maybe it's not there yet, but maybe in the future. Hmm. I, I do think you have a very good point in that the co-pilots, because my, my first thought that I thought that we could discuss were what is Copilot really? Mm. And I, I think to me, Copilot is really the interface more than anything else. They have a common interface on how you interact with your different services. I think it, in, a, in a simplistic world, you would have a Copilot for everything Microsoft. But I think from a model and capabilities point of view, that would be extremely complicated to do. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, definitely. I, I attended a really good session last week at the Citrix user group of all places where someone explained to me the the concept of grounding a, a, a model. So where you actually have your data or the specific data that this AI is supposed to use. Uh, and I assume mm -hmm. that that's what they do with these different co-pilots that they are then, they have one large language model, which is obvious, which it is. And then they ground it on different kind of capabilities and data mm -hmm. within each. And then it's up to each team to tell it how to use that data and give it its tools. Uh, but it would that that how how that all fits together would be quite fascinating to learn more about. Yeah, I completely agree. It's an interesting topic. Yeah. And then the last item I picked out is not actually technical but in regards to keeping your skills up to date. Because what we are used to with Microsoft is having certification and then exams for a specific certification. Uh, what they have come out now with is Microsoft credentials. And I have understood that these are more like specialized skills that you have uh, learning material for, and then you have kind of a lightweight uh, test that you do to 
kind of verify your knowledge. And so, for example, uh, the topics are more in this area. So you have one applied skills credential for building an Azure AI vision solution. Uh, there is one for migrating SQL Server wo- workloads to Azure SQL database. There is one for creating and managing Canvas apps with Power Apps. So kind of the variety is quite large, but they are quite specific to one area or one kind of task. And there is more of these coming uh, soon. So there is also one for Azure Container Apps, which I'm happy about. So deploying cloud-native apps using Azure Container Apps. There are things about Azure Open AI service and machine learning service as well that are coming out, but also from the Teams and Power Apps field as well. So wide variety, but specific tasks that you might need to learn to a specific credential. So the how the testing is done in this, this one is that you have these learning materials that you are going to do for the specific credential. Then there is an online interactive lab-based assessment that you are going to do on Microsoft Learn. And then you are able to verify your credential for that specific skill. Do you remember, Simon, we were sitting in, in um, I think it was in Orlando, when mm-hmm. they showed us the original skill, no, not the skill space, but... Um, Role-based. Role-based, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the these um, simulations and all those things, that mm-hmm. that would be a mm-hmm. part of it. Microsoft has tried this a couple of times. I had this when I did the SQL Server 2005 certifications, and it has always... It's, it's a great idea. I love it to death. Uh, Cisco has been doing this for as long as I can remember, 20 plus years. Yeah. But the, the, uh, the work required to keep the, the labs and the simulations relevant is extremely mm-hmm. high, way higher than creating new questions. So that's mm-hmm. why I think Microsoft has always decided after a couple of months that, nah, <laughs> not worth it. Let's let's not do this again. But I'm also curious to know if they finally cracked it, if you will, by doing two things. One is making a very narrow, specific task. That's really smart. And two, I wonder yeah. if they figured out a way to use uh, generative AI to create these these challenges, because that would be a viable way of doing it, as long as the AI doesn't hallucinate. Uh, which I doubt very it will true. do, considering <laughs> the the very narrow again scope of practice. So, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm curious to see what this this um, becomes. Yeah, I definitely want to try one of these out. Yeah, the and the dynamics oh. one, right? <laughs> God no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just not my area of expertise. I have nothing against dynamics, but it's... I just know nothing about it. Of course you don't. It's very few people's area of expertise. (laughs) And one more thing about the certifications. If you are looking to certify in the link that is in the show notes about the blog that introduces this credentials thing, at the later part, there is also information about the Microsoft Learn Cloud Skills Challenge. I believe this has been on quite uh, in the recent years during a night quite many times already. But what you can do is there is quite many certifications there that you can 
uh, kind of work towards through this challenge. So you go through a learning path for that exam, and then you get a 50% voucher for that exam. And you have to do the learning path in 30 days, I believe. Hmm. And the challenge ends on January 15th, 2024. So you still have some time to do this if you are thinking about it. So a great chance to get a certification done if you've been thinking about it. That's it from my side. Yeah, and, and we will obviously revisit a lot of these things and a lot of other things in our upcoming episodes. Uh, but it's it's I, I think it was a good ignite. What what's I think so your too. thoughts on it? I still miss going to ignite in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm 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 hoping that I'll be able to so I hope I'm hoping that they will open up Ignite sort of kind of like the way they did before. Mm-hmm. And I hope that I'll I'll be able to go and I hope that we'll be able to go. Uh, because we we mm-hmm. had a blast when we recorded yeah. episodes at, on site in the the um, the podcast recording booths. So yeah. that was fun. But but no, I I agree. It was it was a good uh, ignite. I'm looking forward to see what the data and AI conference that Microsoft is doing in in March uh, is going to be all about. Because from what I've heard, that is going to be their flagship data and AI offering mm. when it comes to conferences so mm-hmm. we'll we'll see things are things are changing and we'll we'll see what what happens i mean we all remember when there was build and there were um what was the developers um conference build oh yeah, yeah. it wasn't build no uh tech that, that was build yeah tech Ed, thank yeah. you mms um, you had the exchange one you had the sharepoint one that and... all kind of morphed into i don't Ignite. remember any of yes. those and that oh, was before it, it your was, time. It, exactly, it was pre-Haney. <laughs> Pre-Haney, yes. Yeah. I think it was pre, pre-Haney coming into the industry as well. So mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Probably. Yeah. But what was not pre-Haney coming into the industry was our inability to, to stick to time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that has always been the case. Uh, I think there's, there's um, actually a cave painting in... <laughs> somewhere in Madagascar that depicts needing oh, yes. tech being unable to stick to to the 30 minute time. So I, I think we really need to go because otherwise the, yes. the dinosaurs will have opinions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm not referring to myself. I can hear your thoughts, Simon. I, I didn't say anything. I know. That's, that's what's bothering me. But we are out of time. Again, thank you so much for listening. And We will see you in a week. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com.